0: I'm thankful that God's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you show toward his name, and you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And uh, sometimes uh, the work behind the scenes does get overlooked and uh, passed by, and yet uh, God sees those things and honors those things. And I know he will uh, the work that you're doing here for the Lord, and it's obvious that he's blessing it. And it's just been a real joy, real privilege to be here and uh, thank the Lord for what he's doing here in this town uh, through this lighthouse, this local church. And uh, God has some great things, I believe, ahead as well as you stay faithful to the Lord. Let's go to Daniel chapter three tonight, the book of Daniel and the third chapter. I think the story here will be familiar to many of us. And uh, yet these things are written for our admonition, aren't they? And for our learning, so that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And uh, this chapter is one, I believe, that gives us great hope. In the midst of difficulties or trials, um, tests, uh, there's great hope because we have the Lord. So let's start with verse number 1 here and read a few verses, starting uh, with chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits, And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music. You fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sack, butt, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sack, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, and serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. The devil is the master of intimidation. It's interesting how God describes Satan in the Bible. Be sober, he says, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, it's interesting that the Bible uses this figure of speech to describe the devil as a roaring lion. Now, the devil is not a roaring lion. He's as a roaring lion. It's a figure of speech. Now, I don't know everything there is to know about lions, but I know this, that when a lion is hungry, he doesn't roar. In fact, when a lion is hungry, he's very quiet. He kind of slinks down into some tall grass. He quietly and and sort of uh, 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 silently moves up on a herd of animals, unnoticed, undetected, and then waits for that opportunity to spring upon his prey. A A lion roars to intimidate, and the devil is a master intimidator, and we live in a culture today where it is easy to hear the roar of Satan around us and become intimidated as we endeavor to serve Jesus Christ. We uh, have a a culture today that's increasingly becoming more and more atheistic. Uh, 29% of Americans tonight uh, claim atheism as their belief. Only some 40% of 18 to 35-year-olds even believe in God. So our nation is moving away from God and with it we've become anti-God and anti-home and anti-marriage and we see the vulgarity and we see the the wickedness and the deviousness in our culture today and our religious freedoms seem to be slipping away. We are becoming silenced in the public forums and we, we, we feel the government control more and more with every day that we live. But we must not forget The promise of 1 John 4, 4, where it says, "Ye are my children, dearly beloved, and greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Fear not, the book of Isaiah says, be not dismayed. I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I want you to look through this story with me tonight. Because I believe in it we see some very important steps that can and should lead to God being glorified through our life. Now remember, that's our purpose for being here, is to bring glory to God. Whether we eat, whether we drink, or whatsoever we do, we're to do all to the glory of God. And it's easy to glorify God when we're receiving blessings. When we're in, you know, good health and and God's been blessing us and God's been using us, it's easy to, to say that's because of God and to God be the glory. But it's a little bit harder to glorify God through trials. It's harder to glorify God when Satan is attacking. But God designs even these things to be to the praise of his glory. So notice, first of all, tonight, a provocation. Now, if you're going to live for God, if you're going to decide that I'm going to be the kind of Christian that God can bless and that God can use, if I'm going to sell out my life to serve Jesus Christ, you can be sure that the devil is going to test you to see whether you will demonstrate what you declare. In other words, we can can say what we believe here at church. We can can sing it. We can pray it. We can talk about it here freely. But the devil's going to put us to the test when we go out these doors to see if we're willing to demonstrate what we declare. And we see here a provocation. We see the, the devil provoking the truth here. Look at verse 14. And Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do ye not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Interestingly here, my gods, plural. If there's one thing that Satan hates, is that there's only one God. There's only one true God. Way back in the book of Deuteronomy, God told the nation Israel, Know therefore this day, and consider it in thine heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath, and there is none else. In the book of Isaiah, Look unto me, and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And God does not share his glory with anything or anybody else. I'm the Lord, that's my name. My glory do I not give to, to graven images, nor my praise to, to, to molten images. God does not share his glory. Now, the devil wants us to believe in a multiplicity of gods. He wants us to believe in a plurality of gods because if, if he can get us to think that there's more than one God, then we can be our own God. We can worship ourselves. So here's a provoking of truth. But notice also, it is a provoking of trust. Look at verse number 15. You see, most of us in this room would agree there's only one God. We, we have no problem with that. We, we, we've read the Bible. We, we see God clearly stating who he is. And, and we understand that he is the capital letter G God in our life. And, and we don't debate the fact that there may be some other gods. But the devil's going to come along and say, okay... You believe there's only one God, but can you trust him? Is he reliable? Are you sure he's telling you the truth? Because look at verse 15. Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sack, but psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not... He shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? In other words, okay, you want to believe in this God. You want to believe in this singular God, this this God of heaven. Fine. But is he reliable? When you go in that furnace, can you trust him? See, See, wasn't this the tactic way back in the Garden of Eden? Hath God said... I mean, okay, he said you're not to eat of these trees, but how do you know that he doesn't have uh, you know, so, something against you? How do you know that he's not withholding some good from you? And the devil begins to plant this doubt about God. I'm glad that God gives us promises that we can trust him. I'm glad that he tells us that God is a God who cannot lie that his promises are in him, yea, and in him, amen. I'm glad that God reminds us that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and we can trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and we don't have to lean to our own understanding. In all our ways, we can acknowledge him, and he shall direct our paths. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 46, he says, even to your old age, I am he. And even to your hoar hairs, I will carry you. I have made you, I will guide you, I will bear, I will deliver you. What a promise. God's not going to change as we grow older. God is not going to change as the pressure becomes greater. God promises that his word will always be true. So here's a provocation. But notice now the response, a proclamation there's no hesitancy on the part of shadrach meshach and abednego here there's no as this as this threat comes there's no uh king uh can we can we have a minute uh can we make a phone call <laughs> you know can we, can we have an hour? We need to call our pastor, you know. We need to read the Bible maybe, you know. No, there's no hesitation here. And ladies and gentlemen, we better decide right now how we're going to respond to the devil's provocation. Because when the devil comes at you and I, he's not going to say, take a minute to think about what you're going to do. He's not going to say, you know, go get some counsel or go read the Bible or pray and fast about it for a few days. No, that provocation is going to come and we've got to decide ahead of time what our response is going to be. And here was a proclamation of refusal. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, we don't, we don't have to think about this. We don't have to get counsel. We've already decided what we're going to say. Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou set up. Here was a proclamation of refusal. Your intimidation is not going to work. You're not going to destroy us here. Peer pressure isn't going to change our convictions. It's what Solomon was trying to hammer into his son. My son, when sinners entice thee, consent thou not. It's the example we have in Joseph, who when he was enticed by Potiphar's wife, he refused. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He was prepared for the answer he was to give. Friend, if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. So here was a proclamation of refusal, but notice it's also a proclamation of reliance. Did you notice there? They they said, "King, we're we're, we're not. We don't have to think about this. We've already decided. We're not going to submit to your proclamation. To to your provocation. We're we're not going to give in." And then they go on to say in verses seventeen and eighteen, "We believe God will deliver us. We know He's going to deliver us from you. We don't know about the fiery furnace." But even if he does not, we're still going to trust him. A proclamation of reliance. They were saying whether, as Paul did, by life or by death, we're going to glorify God with our body. We don't know. See, the decisions are ours. The outcome is God's. We don't control the outcome. They had no control over what would happen to them when they got thrown in that furnace. That was going to be up to God. But they were going to rely upon God, whether that meant life or death. The choice is ours, but the consequences are God's. I wonder, is our trust at that level tonight, are we willing to go that far in trusting God? To say, as Paul did, for to me to live is Christ. To die? Oh, it's a promotion. That's gain. You see, if we live, we live unto the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether for we live or die, we're the Lord's. And so we can rely, we can rely upon him. John Huss, who was burned at the stake for his faith in Christ, said, what I've taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. A reliance upon God. So we see a provocation, we see a proclamation, but then we see a pressure. The devil doesn't, doesn't stop intimidating just because we say no. Just because we take our stand, the devil doesn't say, okay, I'll go work on somebody else. Notice the pressure here an intimidating fear. Verse 19 Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to buy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Friends, this is not a bluff. And can I just say that what we are starting to experience in America is not a bluff. The pressures that are coming our way, perhaps the persecution that is being threatened toward God's people, is not a bluff. Satan is not a nice guy who backs down when he meets nice people. Just because we say, no thank you Satan, I'm going to serve the Lord. He doesn't say, okay, I'll leave you alone. No, there's an, in, an intimidating fear here. Remember what Jesus said about the devil in John 8, 44. four. You're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He's a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of himself, for he's a liar and the father of it. People want us to think now by teaching Satanism in the school, after clubs and so on, that Satan's a really good guy and we can worship him as well. Listen, he's a murderer. He's a destroyer. He wants to devour your life, your testimony. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So there's an intimidating fear, but notice also an intensifying fire. In verse 21, then these men were bound in their coats, their hose, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, And the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They heated this furnace seven times hotter. I don't like to say this, but I say it on the authority of the scripture, it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse. I, I know... We have hope in elections, and we have hope in revival, and we have hope in these things. And I'm not saying don't to, to go ahead and lose hope, but I'm saying the Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, the next verse says, but continue thou in the things you've learned have been assured of, knowing if we may learn them. In other words, just because it's getting bad doesn't mean we get a pass. Just because there is pressure on us to live for God doesn't mean, well, Lord, you understand I lived in 2023. So, therefore, I don't have to live like those people in Hebrews 11, you know, right? We're not getting a pass here. But Satan is very aware that he is operating on a short leash here. He only has so much time. That is why we must gird up the loins of our mind and be sober. That's why we must redeem the time. That's why we've got to get these scriptures uh, uh, put together and, and sent out. That's why we've got to reach these boys and girls in Anchor Club. That's why we've got to reach these people that are desperate in addictions and so on. Why? Because the time is short. Right. So there's a provocation. There's a proclamation. There's a pressure. But then here now it now starts getting good. There's a protection. And this is the part the devil hates. He hates this part. Look at this surprised king here in verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God, a surprised king. (laughs) Don't ever play chess with God. (laughs) I'm not a chess player. I'm not that smart. But chess players who are good, they have to think like like four or five moves ahead, right? You got to be ahead of your opponent and you're thinking, well, don't play chess with God. He's like 17 moves ahead of you. This king thought, hey, I got this. I'll take care of this problem. God's way, 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 way beyond King Nebuchadnezzar. God's always a step ahead of the enemy. I was reading Ecclesiastes a while back, and we say this sometimes. I never saw this verse before. Well, I know I saw it, but I just never, I guess, thought about it. But it was a blessing to me. It's in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 9. It says, if thou seest the oppression of the poor. Well, I'm seeing that. It just seems like there's no, there's no equity these days. There's no justice system. There, there's, there's people that, being a, that are being uh, improperly treated. So he says, if you see the, the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice, well, I'm seeing that. That was on the news today. So I'm seeing the oppressing of the poor by the elite powers, you know, to the peasants. <laughs> and I'm seeing this, this improper justice system that we have now where truth has fallen in the street, equity cannot enter, justice stands afar off. I see that. So God's saying, when you, when you see that in a, in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Isn't that great? God says, hey, you're going to see this stuff, but don't, don't, don't put a lot of time into it because I got it. God says, I, I'm regarding it. And what they don't know is there's somebody higher than them. Uh, power, people get drunk on power and they get, they, they, they get to thinking, hey, we're in control. God says, they're not in control. I am. There's one that's higher than they. You see, We have a sovereign keeper. He's able to keep us. Look at verse 25. It says, he answered, uh, uh, verse 25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt, and the the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was the hair of their heads singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. A sovereign keeper. Friend, no matter what you and I would go through, we have God. And we have his protection. The Bible says in Isaiah 43 and verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You see, the psalmist was able to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. How can you say that? For thou art with me. Thou art with me. And no matter what we face, we have the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. I've had the privilege of preaching in the underground churches in China. And one of the missionaries there, the last time I was with him, he shared a story with me that literally put the hair on the back of my head on end. He said, Brother Gatch, a few months ago, my father-in-law back here in the States became ill, needed some surgeries, and it didn't look good. My wife, obviously, and I were very concerned for him, and we're a long ways from home, and communication's not always great. And after some of the tests had been done and some surgeries planned we decided that my wife and my four children should go back to the States and be with her family during this time. I didn't feel like I could leave. The church was at a place where there were just a lot of things going on, and, and I just didn't feel comfortable going back to the States for three or four months and leaving the church as it was. And so we, we made a decision as a family that my wife and my four kids would, would travel back to the States. I would stay here. So uh, he said, my wife, and kids, we put them on an airplane, and they, they left. And he said, I got to thinking, I've got uh, a few months now to be by myself. and That's going to be hard enough. But he said, I, I want to use this time effectively for the Lord. And he said, Brother Gatch, we had a number of uh, men in our church that I was training at that time to kind of take over the church at some point. And, and uh, he said they were really coming along. And I thought, this is, this is a good opportunity for me to spend more time with them and mentoring them and and training them and so uh, he did so and one of the young men showed some some promise with uh, leading the congregation in music and worship and so on and was a good platform presence and and uh, he had been working with him on leading singing and teaching him how to you know beat out the songs and so on and so during this time, while his wife and children were away, he called him one Wednesday morning and he said, uh, listen, uh, why don't, can you come to church a few minutes early tonight? He said, I'm going to have you lead the singing tonight. And uh, you're, you're far enough along now. I'll pick out some easy hymns, you know, some four-four time. And, and uh, we'll practice before the service. And I just, I just want you to lead the singing. And the, and the fellow agreed that he would be willing to do that. So he came early and they went through the songs. And, and the missionary said, now, I'm going to announce to the people before when we start the service that you're going to lead the singing. And he said, um, I'm going to go stand on the side um, of the auditorium about halfway back because I want to watch you, but I also want to watch the congregation. I want to watch you and, and, and kind of, you know, evaluate how you're doing, but I also want to see how the people are responding to you. So the service started, and he told people that so-and-so was going to lead the singing tonight, and he came up and began to lead the first song, and the missionary went and stood alongside the wall. Halfway through the first verse, the back door opened. And 25 Chinese police entered the building, armed, and stood across the back. The commander of these men was a short, stocky Chinese man. He came in last. The men stood at attention with their rifles drawn fingers on the trigger. And the commander, he reached in his pocket and took out a little, little notebook. He opened it up took out a pen. And, of course, the congregation didn't know they were there. The song leader saw them, of course. The pastor saw them. But the congregation had their backs to them. And so they didn't know what was happening. They are just singing. And that commander is looking at every single person in that room, one at a time, and making notes. Missionary said, Brother Gatch, I stood there and I thought, my first thought was, how am I going to tell my wife? How am I going to get word to my wife? Obviously, this is it. This is the end. This is the end of our church. We've been discovered. And more than likely, I'm going to jail, and probably some of my people as well. They're going to take my cell phone. I don't dare reach for it right now. How am I going to let my wife back in the States and my kids know what's going on? That was his thought. Well, the first song, they sang all four verses, and when they finished, the song, are looked at the pastor, and the pastor went, you know, sing the next one. Well, the little commander continued to take notes. They sang for over 20 minutes. They sang through the three songs like four times. After about 20 minutes, after that commander looked at every single person in that room, written down notes, he gave a a quick flip of his hand to those soldiers, and they turned and left, and he followed them out. And they never heard from them again. And the missionary looked at me and he said, But Gedge, I don't think he saw me. Now, when he said that, I said, They saw you. I mean, this missionary is 6'4, he has blonde hair, white as a sheet of complexion. He does not look Chinese, okay? I said, They saw you. He looked me straight in the eye and said, Brother Getch, they never saw me. I thought, they never saw you. God has the ability to blind eyes. Read the Bible. <laughs> you have protection, my friend. And notice finally, this all leads and culminates with a praise. and Remember, this is why God made us. This is why God designed us, that we should be to the praise of his glory. So even in this provoking that's going to come, this provocation, it's all designed that in the end of it, there's praise to the right person. And notice it. We see a respected position. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar, spake and said, blessed be the God. Notice that now before he was talking about those little G gods, all his gods that they wouldn't worship. Now he says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. You know, people may laugh at you for going to church. They may laugh at you because you claim to be a Christian. They may laugh at you because you believe in some old book called the Bible. They may make fun of you, but I'm going to tell you something. They respect you if you stick with it. They respect you because you're not backing down of what you truly believe is the truth. They'll respect that position. Some may never admit it. Some may never say it to your face. But there's respect in this world today for people that are still going to church. There's respect for people that still have their marriage intact. They're trying to raise their kids for God. They're trying to do something positive in this society. There's respect for that. And then there's a rightful praise. Look at verse 29. Therefore, this is the king now, I make a decree. That every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there's no other God that can deliver after this sort. Here's a rightful praise. You see, everything in this world is funneling toward that time where every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it's all funneling toward. I want to be on the right side of that, don't you? Amen. I want to be part of that praise that He's going to get in that day. Satan may be provoking you tonight, but I want to encourage you to make a proclamation a proclamation of resistance and a proclamation of reliance. It'll get hot. The pressure will be on. But you have a promise from God for his protection. And when it's all said and done, he'll get the glory. About two years ago, in the spring, I got a text one day from one of our graduates. She'd graduated about 20 years before, and I hadn't kept up with her uh, extremely well. I text all of our alumni twice a year, and some of them will text back and kind of give me a thought or two about how they're doing. But sometimes you kind of forget where they are. I remember that this girl had gotten married, and I knew she, she was a pastor's wife, and I knew they had a couple of boys. But, you know, time goes by quickly, and you kind of forget that her kids maybe are teenagers now and that kind of thing. Well, she texted me, and she said, Brother Getch, um, uh, my oldest son, Judson, is uh, 14 and this summer for the very first time he's going to go to camp he's never been to camp we've just never been you know my husband and I we've pastored some smaller churches and and she said we've never been in a place where we could really uh, take the kids to camp and have them go and we never had a camp real close by and and uh, this year though he's he's going to camp and uh, he is really excited about it and and you're the speaker that week and I wanted to text you and, and, and just give you a little heads up because he, he is really excited about being there and hearing you preach. I've told him all about you. and I thought, oh, that's not good. And uh, so she said, I've told him some of the funny stories that happened in college and some of the counseling you helped me with. And he's just really excited to hear you preach. And she said it would mean a lot if, if you could just pray for him. And maybe at camp you could meet him. He, he, would, just, he would just be thrilled if he could meet you. Well, I got the text. I said, Hey, thanks for letting me know and I'll 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 be praying for him and, and I'll make it a point to meet him and I made a note. I put him on my prayer list and I made a note, hey, when you get to th- this camp, you know, look this kid up. So the, the weeks went by, the months went by, and camp finally came in the end of the summer, toward the end of the summer, I think it was the first week in August. And I got to that camp and I remembered, you know, all this stuff, and I'm thinking, I gotta, I gotta find this kid. You know, now there are about 600 campers there. And uh, this is one of 600, you know, he's a 14-year-old kid. I have never seen a picture of him. All I know is his name, Judson. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to have to talk to the office and see what cabin he's in and figure out who his counselor is and then go to the counselor and try to figure out who this kid is so I can meet him. So I'm walking down to the first service. First service, Monday night, I'm walking down this hill toward the the auditorium. And I came down, and and right in front of the auditorium, all the teenagers were kind of assembling there. Some were playing some sports over here to the left. They had some basketball hoops and things going on, and some of them were still playing that, and some were just kind of in little groups talking, and and uh, everybody just kind of waiting for the bell to ring, I guess, and the doors to open to the chapel. And so I'm coming down, and and there was a split-railed fence to my right that was guarding some some area over here, and. As I walked, there was, a, there was a kid sitting on top of the fence. He was, and he was looking up the path toward me. And I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's the Holy Spirit. But I thought, you know, that might be him. <laughs> and I don't know why. You know, the Lord gave me that thought, I think. And as I got closer, he's looking more closely and earnestly toward me. And, and uh, I, I didn't try to stare at him, but I thought, that, that might be him. Well, I got about 50 feet from him, and he jumped off that fence and started running toward me, and before he could get all the way to me, I said, you're Judson, and he's like, how do you know me? I said, I know your mom. He said, oh, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> well, we had an immediate connection, of course, and I walked into the chap with him, and we talked about his mom, and I told him some things that he'd never heard before, and we, we laughed and had a good time. We walked into the chapel, and, and uh, I asked him a few questions, like, who's your counselor? and you having a good time? He was having the time of his life. He was just looking forward to camp, and just a sweet kid, said, I can't wait to hear you preach, and I want God to work in my heart, you know, and, and just, just a blessing. Well, I watched where he sat and, and got up to preach, and this kid, I mean, he's just drinking it in. He's just loving every minute of, of, the, of the chapel, the songs, the skit, I mean, everything. That week, I saw him several times, and... And we chatted and had a good time. I was so glad he was there. On Wednesday, I got another text from his mom. She said, Billy Gage, my husband has just passed away. It's very unexpected. And I haven't told anybody except my pastor. And my pastor and I have decided we don't want to tell Judson yet. He's at camp. He's having the time of his life. And Judson loves his dad. He's his hero. And my pastor and I have decided we're just going to let him get through camp. And so just pray. And if there's something you could say in a message that would prepare him for this, I trust you. Wow. That night as I preached, I I see this kid sitting out there just drinking it all in, taking notes, just loving every minute of camp. And in my heart, I'm thinking the devil is about to slam this kid on friday thursday night i got another text from his mom and she said brother getch i'm i'm driving up tonight after work it's starting to leak out some of our church family is hearing about it and we've got to make funeral arrangements and justin has to be a part of that so I'm driving up tonight I won't get into about midnight but she said there's a, there's a lady in town that's agreed to let me stay with her and tomorrow morning I'll come to the camp and pick up Judson she said could you be there when I get there and help me tell him I didn't sleep much that night I could just pray and say, Lord, somehow protect this kid. The devil's about to drop a bombshell on him that could turn him away from you and cause him to be bitter and angry. God, you've got to work. A miracle of grace. I won't forget that morning. Pulling Judson aside from the kids after breakfast and walking with him to the director's office where his mom was waiting. He was surprised to see her, happy. Gave her a big hug. He sat down on the couch next to his mom. I sat across from him. We told him. His first response, of course, was tears. And his first words were, there must be a mistake his mom said no Judson your mom's with your dad's with the Lord Judson wrapped his arms around his mom his head next to hers and tears just flowing and he's looking right at me And as he got a little bit of that emotion under control, he said, Brother Getch, I love Jesus and the devil's not going to get me. My friend, that's the grace of God that only he can give when the devil provokes. I don't know what will come into your life or mine. But we must prepare. And we can prepare with a full assurance that God will give grace in time of need. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the detail of this story in the Bible. And I thank you, Lord, that it's so relatable to us today, though we're not facing a literal fiery furnace, we, we feel pressure as your people today. We see a lot of things eroding, especially those of us that are a little bit older, and we, we realize this isn't like it used to be. And these threats are real against the church, against your people. And so, Lord, give us boldness and give us courage But, Lord, that's going to have to start with grace in our life to face those individual trials that will come. The devil has a lot of tools in his bag, and he will come at each of us perhaps differently. But, Lord, help us to stand firm and true to you. And, Lord, thank you for the assurance that we have that you will go with us, even through the valley of the shadow of death. You will not forsake us will deliver us to the other side where we can praise you for all of eternity. And so may tonight we prepare an answer for the devil when he attacks. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. and I'm going to ask Mrs. First to come to the piano and she'll play in a minute. Perhaps tonight we need to just form a prayer to God and say, Lord, please give me your grace, give me your strength, give me your power. In those times when I'm tested, in those times when a trial may come my way or a temptation, help me to stand as these of old stood. We sang it a moment ago, faith of our fathers. Boy, here are some that are wonderful heroes of our faith. And we can stand alongside them one day knowing that we served our God to the very end. I don't want to paint a bleak picture. I hope and pray for revival. I hope and pray for Uh, a space of grace in our day that we might see more people saved and continue to build God's church but we know how it all ends and we want to be on the right side when it does and so as the music plays tonight if God's speaking to your heart uh, make a commitment to the Lord to stand maybe you want to come and kneel at an altar maybe they're at your seat if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord is your Savior pastors here at the front someone to be happy to take the word of God and show you how to be saved tonight these are days where you need a savior you need an anchor you need that one that will stand with you in difficult times and the only one there is to do that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself and he can be your savior tonight he can be your lord